0: Ago, or a year or so ago now when Queen Elizabeth, who at the time was the longest reigning monarch of the British Empire, died. And since then, there have really been some great stories that have come out about her. And one of them comes from a man named uh, Richard Griffin who was her Royal Protection Officer, which I take to be something <coughs> like the Secret Service. Apparently, the queen and Mr. Griffin were walking around on the grounds outside Balmore Castle, which is in Scotland. It's where she goes in the summertime. And uh, they were walking along, and they ran into some hikers who were tourists, American tourists, and the tourists did not recognize that this was the queen. And so they were, they were talking to her, and they just struck up this conversation. And they asked the queen, they said, oh, do you live around here? And she said, well, no, I live in London, but I have a summer home here. She said, I've been coming here since uh, I was a little child. They went, oh, well, surely you've met the queen. And, 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 and she said, well, no, uh, but Richard here meets with her regularly. And they said, oh, what is the queen like? Tell us, what is the queen like? And, of course, he knew the queen pretty well. He said, oh, she can be cantankerous sometimes, <laughs> but she has a lovely sense of humor. And then he said, before he realized what was happening, one of the the hikers reached with his arm over around Richard and gave the camera to the queen and said, will you take a picture of us? (laughs) (laughs) And then they turned the tables. The the other hiker got a picture with the queen. They never realized that it was the queen. So after it was all over, this is what the queen said to Richard. She said, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows those photographs to friends in America. Hopefully, somebody will tell him who I am. Isn't that great? (laughs) So, the story today, the scripture, is is all about identity. It's about the identity of Jesus. Uh, The disciples now have been with Jesus for quite a while. And they've seen a lot about Jesus, and there's not a lot they've not seen about Jesus. But what they've seen is pretty amazing. I mean, they've seen him work miracles. Remember how he walked on water? Remember how he calmed the storm? Remember how there were five thousand pe- people and he fed them from a bread, a few couple of loaves of bread and fish? You remember? Remember how they experienced Jesus teaching? I mean, he taught the the Sermon on the Mount, he taught about the ancient Mosaic law, but he did so in such a way that it got at the depth of what that law was really about. And they experienced that. And they'd seen his healings. Oh my goodness, he had healed so many people, hundreds of people with ordinary troubles, but, but he'd healed people who had leprosy, he'd healed people who were struggling with demonic possession. It he, even raised a little girl from the dead. They'd seen all of that. And all of that was in their minds and experience at this point. Now there are some things they had not seen yet. The political idea of the Messiah was the idea that God would call someone and that someone would raise up an army and that army would overthrow enemies of Israel and then this, this Messiah would set up a Jewish nation. And Jesus had never not for once, even talked in a direction like that. In fact, when he healed, uh, when he fed the five thousand people, the Gospel of John tells us that they were so excited about what he did that they literally were ready to take him right then and there and to make him to be the king. And Jesus just walked away from him. He didn't want to have anything to do with him. But now they've been with him all this time. The time comes. He wants to know. He's got. Important plans for the disciples. And so he asked them. Now he goes about it in a bit of a non threatening way. He starts, first of all, just asking about people in general. He says, Who do people say that I am? And they said, Oh, some say John the Baptist risen from the dead. Another say that you're Elijah come back. Another say that you're Jeremiah, who reformed, you know, uh, concerned about reform. They, they list all these people. And then Jesus puts them on the spot. He looks at them and he says, but who do you say that I am? And I I just envision it was probably quiet, you know, dead dead quiet. Crickets. And then Peter, wonderful Peter, you are the Christ. And the word Christ is the same word in Hebrew for the word uh, Messiah. You are the Messiah, the Son, of the living God. Now let's be clear. Peter's not saying that Jesus was that political idea of the Messiah. He wasn't saying that. You know how I know? Because he adds this phrase, the Son of the living God, the Son of God. He was recognizing, even if he didn't fully understand it, that there was something unique about Jesus. And here's the interesting thing in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus had already given them a hint of this bigger picture of of Himself. You remember the question He he, uh, offers to the people? He says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's what it actually says in the Gospel of Matthew. The Son of Man is. Now that's a name Jesus often applied to Himself. He called Himself The Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? In Old Testament prophecy, the Son of Man was a a heavenly representative of God come to earth, not just for Jewish people, but for all people, for the renewal of the world. I I I want you to hear this passage. It's, it's um, It's in the book of Daniel. Let's see if I can... Okay. Here's what Daniel says. In my vision at night, I looked... And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. And all peoples, all nations, all people of every language worshipped him. You see that? Jesus is saying that's who he is. Peter somehow is grasping grasping this. He's grabbing hold of this. You are the son of God. You are this a unique kind of disciple. You are the son of God. You are the son of man. Nobody, listen, nobody at this point had had that kind of grasp, that kind of understanding that this was who Jesus is. He was saying, Jesus was saying, I'm I'm more than a great teacher. I'm more than a reformer. I'm more than a great prophet. I'm the son of God coming to this world. And because Peter grabs hold of that, Jesus gives him a blessing. And it blesses him in two ways. He says, no longer are you going to be Simon, this disciple that waffles about everything, can't figure out what to do. Now you're going to be Peter. The word Peter in the Greek is the word Petros, which is the same word for rock. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be rocky. You're going to be rocky. And then Jesus promises to give the rock a blessing. And he says, on you, on your profession of faith, on your belief, this conviction you have, I am going to build my church. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been reading this passage. I've known This story for years and years and years. But I just never really thought about that gift that that Jesus gives to Peter, that blessing. He says, I'm going to build my church. And this time when I heard that church, I went, oh. I went, that that's the gift, that's really the blessed gift that you're going to give. I mean, the church, <laughs> the, the, the church where people can argue about the carpet and then have a division and never speak to one another again, that's the church you're going to give? Or, or, or the church, you know, where terribly some you know, pastors and priests and church leaders have abused children, you're talking about that church? Are you talking about the church, Jesus, you know, that, that, that supported the crusades, the church that supported slavery, the church was involved in, in oppressive colonization. Are, are you talking about that church, Jesus? Are you talking about the church that was in the inner city and moved out of the inner city because it didn't want to welcome African-American folks that were moving in there? Is that the church you're talking about? Man, if you and I are honest, if that's the gift Jesus gives, it's like, "Good gracious, Lord, what are, what are you talking about? You know I like that story about this uh, mom who. Sunday morning, calls up to her son who's upstairs in bed. Son, it's time to get up. you got to get up. You better hurry. You're going to be late for church. Get up. Son calls down to the mom. Oh, mom, I don't want to go to church. Those people over there don't like me and I don't like them. Give, give me one good reason that I should go to church. The mom calls back up. She says, son, I'll give you two reasons. Number one, you're 47 years old. And number two, you're the pastor. but we know we know the fallibility of the church we? we know all of our failures we know all of our mistakes and yet sometimes you all by God's goodness and by God's grace amazing things happen in and through the church Paul the Apostle calls the church the body of Christ. And part of what he means by that is that not only are we all connected, but but we're connected for the purpose of representing Jesus to the people in our lives. by, By our lives, by the way we live. We're representing Jesus to others. And when we operate as Jesus operated, when we... Love as He loved. When we showed compassion as He showed, then then people see who God is. They're they're drawn to God. So every time we feed those who are hungry, every time we help those who are sick, every time we clothe somebody who's naked, we're confirming these words of Jesus. You know, every time we welcome those in our society and culture pushes away the people, you know that that uh, would be considered sinful. The people that, that most folks don't want to have anything to do with it. But, but when the church welcomes, then we're confirming. We're confirming what Jesus said. When we rejoice with those who rejoice with birthday celebrations and birthday parties, when we weep with those who are weeping, when we help one another in times of death or in times of illness or in times of worry, then we're confirming the word Jesus said about the church. When when we have disagreements and work through them and learn to forgive and work with one another and support one another, we're confirming the words of Jesus. And see, Jesus goes on and he adds two other things to this. He says, you're going to build my church. You're going to build my church and, and the gates of hell Will not prevail against it. Now, what's he mean by that? The gates of hell or Hades—that that's a symbol for everything that keeps us from being the people that we were made to be. It's the the shame in our lives. It's the selfishness in our lives. It's the sin in our lives that holds us back and and breaks our hearts. And it's things that other people do as well that. That hold us down and keep us from being the full people we could be. And and what Jesus is saying is that 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 sort of prison is not going to hold anybody. You're not going to hold anybody because my presence, my power, my love is in the church. My love will set people free. He says a similar kind of thing with the next metaphor. He says, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. And what's a key? A key will... Open the door, right? Let somebody in, or a key can lock the door. It can keep somebody closed. But I think the major image here is of opening the door. The church opens the door for us. The church opens the door for others. It gives a chance to people to know who God is. Let me tell you a story. I have a friend named Randy Wilcox, and uh, Randy just man, he he loves Jesus. He always has. And I remember back when we were in school together, graduate school together. He was working as an intern for North Avenue Presbyterian Church. And and behind the church in in the Georgia Tech area there in downtown Atlanta, there is this uh, housing project, or at least there was. Uh, And he and some other folks really began to believe that God wanted them to be involved there. And so early in the summer of his ministry, he and some others went down and they began meeting with people and talking with folks and began to get to know them and to hear what the needs were and offer to help. And he met this one lady uh, named Ruby who uh, had no All her family had disowned her. Uh, she was all alone, basically. Everybody else had died. Uh, she was confined to a wheelchair. And this lady had literally given up on life, Randy said he opened the door, and the smell from inside the apartment where she lived was just beyond belief. Um, the house was squalor, the little apartment was squalor, dirt everywhere, dishes piled up in the sink, cockroaches everywhere. She'd been in bed. You know, you you could smell the urine smell, you could smell the feces. It was it was terrible. Well, Randy started talking to her, and he said, Miss Ruby, he said, you shouldn't have to live like that. He said, would you you let some of us come in and clean up the place and and talk to you about Jesus? And and amazingly, this lady did. So once a week, my friend Randy and some folks from the North Avenue Presbyterian Church went downtown. And they went to her place and they cleaned it up. And they got rid of the bugs. And they would change her bed linens. And they would, laugh with her and joke with her and they talk to her about Jesus. And they did that week after week after week. That whole summer long. I want you to know by the end of that summer Miss Ruby had a reason to live again. She had a reason to live. Because those folks had been the church to her. And that confirms the word Jesus said. The gates of hell cannot prevail against that love, that grace, that mercy, that service of Jesus in the church. The keys of the kingdom open the door so people know who God is. And they want to be connected with this God. They want to know God's love. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Amelot, anybody know Annamalot? Do, do you read Annamalot, some of you? Okay. Yeah, you know it. She, she was away from the church for years. Didn't want to have anything to do with the church, but gosh, it's probably 20 or 25 years ago now, she, became, she came back to the church. And what, what a lot of folks don't realize is that she brought her 14-year-old son with her and made him go to church. And there were some of her writers that were like, ah, you, you're being abusive. You can't make your teenage child go to church. You know, that's the worst thing you could possibly do. And I I love what she said. She she wrote this in The Christian Century. Uh, She said, Left to their own, teenagers would opt out of many important things like flossing their teeth and doing their homework. It's good to do uncomfortable things. It's weight training for life. And then she went a little bit deeper. She said, Teens who don't go to church miss the opportunities to see people loving God back. Learning to love back is the hardest thing. That, that's what the church is doing. We're just giving back the love that we've received. Right? We're just loving back. We, just think about it. Just think about your love. Think about how you have been loved in Jesus Christ and accepted for who you are I mean, just think about the, the forgiveness that you've received when you, you know that you've done things that are wrong. Just, just think about how when you've had illness or troubles in your life, we've prayed and, and you've felt God's presence and power. Think about those times when, when you know that God has been present. Out of that, we give back to God. We give back to God in our worship. We give back to God in the way we care for one another. We give back to God in the way we serve out in the world. And we do this. Because we've learned who Jesus is. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. The early disciples came to this conviction that Peter had. After After they'd been with Jesus, they realized he's more than just a great teacher he's more than just a reformer he's more than just a prophet you're you're the son of God you're the unique presence of God coming to this world for us and listen the more we know the truth about who Jesus really is the more we're going to be the church the church so that's the question That's that's what it comes down to. Who do you say Jesus is? What do you believe about him? Think about it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.